0: Moby Dick or The Whale by Herman Melville Chapter 64 Stubb's Supper Stubb's Well had been killed some distance from the ship. It was a calm, so forming a tandem of three boats, we commenced the slow business of towing the trophy to the Pequod. And now as we eighteen men with our thirty-six arms and one hundred and eighty thumbs and fingers slowly toiled hour after hour upon that inert, sluggish corpse in the sea, and it seemed hardly to budge at all, except at long intervals. Good evidence was hereby furnished of the enormousness of the mass we moved. For, upon the great canal of Hang Ho, or whatever they call it in China, four or five labourers on the footpath will draw a bulky freighted junk at the rate of a mile an hour. But this grand argosy we towed heavily forged along, "'as if laden with pig-lead in bulk. "'Darkness came on, but three lights up and down "'on the Pequod's main rigging dimly guided our way, "'till, drawing nearer, we saw Ahab "'dropping one of several more lanterns over the bulwarks. "'Vacantly eyeing the heaving well for a moment, "'he issued the usual orders for securing it for the night, "'and then, handing his lantern to a seaman, "'went his way into the cabin,' and did not come forward again until morning. Though in overseeing the pursuit of this whale, Captain Ahab had evinced his customary activity to call it so, yet now that the creature was dead, some vague dissatisfaction or impatience or despair seemed working in him, as if the sight of that dead body reminded him that Moby Dick was yet to be slain. And though a thousand other whales were brought to his ship, all that would not one jot advance his grand monomaniac object very soon you would have thought from the sound on the pequod's decks that all hands were preparing to cast anchor in the deep for heavy chains are being dragged along the deck and thrust rattling out of the portholes but by those clanking links the vast corpse itself not the ship is to be moored Tied by the head to the stern and by the tail to the bows, the whale now lies with its black hull close to the vessels. And seen through the darkness of the night, which obscured the spars and rigging aloft, the two, ship and whale, seem yoked together like colossal bullocks, whereof one reclines while the other remains standing. If moody Ahab was now all quiescence, at least so far as could be known on deck, Stubb, his second mate, flushed with conquest, betrayed an unusual but still good-natured excitement. Such an unwonted bustle was he in that the staid Starbuck, his official superior, quietly resigned to him for the time the sole management of affairs. One small helping cause of all this liveliness in Stubb was soon made strangely manifest. Stubb was a high liver He was somewhat intemperately fond of the whale as a flavourish thing to his palate. "'A stake, a stake, ere I sleep, you! dagoo, overboard you go, and cut me one from his small!' Here it be known that though these wild fishermen do not as a general thing, and according to the great military maxim, make the enemy defray the current expenses of the war, at least before realising the proceeds of the voyage, Yet now and then you find some of these Nantucketers who have a genuine relish for that particular part of the sperm well designated by Stubb, comprising the tapering extremity of the body. About midnight that steak was cut and cooked and lighted by two lanterns of sperm oil. Stubb stoutly stood up to his spermosati supper at the capstan head, as if that capstan were a sideboard. Nor was Stubb the only banqueter on whale's flesh that night, mingling their mumblings with his own mastications, thousands on thousands of sharks swarming round the dead leviathan, smackingly feasted on its fatness. The few sleepers below in their bunks were often startled by the sharp slapping of their tails against the hull within a few inches of the sleepers' hearts. Peering over the side, you could just see them, as before you heard them, wallowing in the sullen black waters and turning over on their backs as they scooped out huge globular pieces of the whale of the bigness of a human head. This particular feat of the shark seems all but miraculous. How, at such an apparently unassailable surface, they contrived to gouge out such symmetrical mouthfuls remains a part of the universal problem of all things the mark that they thus leave on the well may be best likened to the hollow made by a carpenter in countersinking for a screw. Though amid all the smoking horror and diabolism of a sea fight, sharks will be seen longingly gazing up to the ship's decks, like hungry dogs round a table where red meat is being carved, ready to bolt down every killed man that is tossed to them, And though, while the valiant butchers over the deck table are thus cannibally carving each other's live meat with carving knives all gilded and tasseled, the sharks also, with their jewel-hilted mouths, are quarrelsomely carving away under the table at the dead meat. And though were you to turn the whole affair upside down, it would still be pretty much the same thing. That is to say, a shocking sharkish business enough for all parties And those sharks also are the invariable outriders of all slave ships crossing the Atlantic, systematically trotting alongside to be handy in case a parcel is to be carried anywhere, or a dead slave to be decently buried. And though one or two like instances might be set down touching the set terms, places and occasions when sharks do most socially congregate and most hilariously feast... Yet is there no conceivable time or occasion when you will find them in such countless numbers and in gayer or more jovial spirits than around a dead sperm whale moored by night to a whale ship at sea. If you have never seen that sight, then suspend your decision about the propriety of devil worship and the expediency of conciliating the devil. But as yet Stubb heeded not the mumblings of the banquet that was going on so nigh him, no more than the sharks heeded the smacking of his own epicurean lips. Cook! Cook! Where's that old fleece? he cried at length, widening his legs still further, as if to form a more secure base for his supper, at the same time darting his fork into the dish, as if stabbing with his lance. Cook! You cook! Sail this way, cook! The old black, not in very high glee at having been previously roused from his warm hammock, at a most unseasonable hour, came shambling along from his galley, for, like many old blacks, there was something the matter with his knee-pans, which he did not keep well-skived like his other pans. This old fleece, as they called him, came shuffling and limping along, assisting his step with his tongs, which, after a clumsy fashion, were made of straightened iron hoops. This old ebony floundered along, and, in obedience to the word of command, came to a dead stop, on the opposite side of Stubb's sideboard when, with both hands folded before him and resting on his two-legged cane, he bowed his arched back still further over, at the same time sideways, inclining his head, so as to bring his best ear into play. ''Cook!'' said Stubb, rapidly lifting a rather reddish morsel to his mouth. Don't you think this steak is rather overdone? You've been beating this steak too much, cook. It's too tender. Don't I always say that to be good, a whale steak must be tough? There are those sharks now over the side. Don't you see they prefer it tough and rare? What a shindy they're kicking up. Cook, go and talk to them. Tell them they are welcome to help themselves civilly and in moderation, but they must keep quiet. Blast me if I can hear my own voice. Away, cook, and deliver my message. Here, take this lantern, snatching one from his sideboard. Now then, go and preach to them. Sullenly taking the offered lantern, Old Fleece limped across the deck to the bulwarks, and then, with one hand dropping his light low over the sea, so as to get a good view of his congregation, with the other hand he solemnly flourished his tongs, and leaning far over the side in a mumbling voice, began addressing the sharks, while Stubb, softly crawling behind, overheard all that was said. "'Fellow critters, I's ordered here to say "'dat you must stop dat damn noise dare "'You hear? Stop dat damn smacking of de lips. Massa Stubb say dat you can fill your damn bellies "'up to de hatchings, but by gore you must stop dat damn racket. "'Cook!' here interposed Stubb, "'accompanying the word with a sudden slap on the shoulder. "'Cook! Why, damn your eyes!' You mustn't swear that way when you're preaching. That's no way to convert sinners, cook. Who dat? Den preach to him yourself, sullenly turning to go. No, cook, go on, go on. Well, then, beloved fellow critters. Right, exclaimed Stubb approvingly. Coax em to it. Try that. And Fleece continued. Doe you as all sharks, and by nature very voracious... "'Yet I say to you, fellow critters, dat dat voraciousness, "'top dat damn slapping of detail tail. "'How you tink to hear? "'Suppose you keep up such a damn slapping and bitin' dare?' "'Cook!' cried Stub, colouring him. "'I won't have that swearing. "'Talk to him gentlemanly.' "'Once more the sermon proceeded. "'Your voraciousness, fellow critters, "'I don't blame you so much for. "'Dat is nature and can't be helped.' But to govern that wicked nature, that is de point. You is sharks, sartin. But if you govern a shark in you, why then, you be angel? For all angel is nothing more than the shark well governed. Now look here, brethren, just try once to be Sibyl A are helping yourselves from dat whale. Don't be tearing to blubber out your neighbour's mouth, I say. Is not one shark dude right as t'other to that whale? And by gore, none on you has de right to that whale. That whale belonged to someone else. I know some of you as berry brigmouth, mouth than others, but then the brigmouth mouth sometimes has de small bellies, so that the brigness of the mouth is not to swallow with, but to bite off the blubber for the small fribe sharks that can't get into the scrouge to help themselves. Well done, old fleece, cried Stubb. That's Christianity. Go on. No use going on, de damn willins will keep a scrounging and a slappin' each other, massa Stub. They don't hear one word, no use a preaching to such damn guttons as you call call 'em, till their bellies is full, and their bellies is bottomless. And when they do get em full, they won't hear you den, for den they de sink into sea, go fast asleep on de coral, and can't hear nothing, nothing at all, no more for ever and ever. Upon my soul I'm about of the same opinion to give the benediction, Fleece, and I'll wait to my supper. Upon this, Fleece, holding both hands over the fishy mob, raised his shrill voice and cried, Cussed fellow critters, kick up to damnedest row as ever you can, fill your damned bellies till they bust, and then die! "'Now, cook,' said Stubb, resuming his supper at the capstan, "'stand just where you stood before, there, over against me, "'and pay particular attention.' "'All dention, said Fleece, again stooping over upon his tongs "'in the desired position. "'Well,' said Stubb, helping himself freely meanwhile, "'I shall now go back to the subject of this steak. "'In the first place, how old are you, cook?' "'What dat to do with de take?' said the old black testily. "'Silence!' How old are you, Cook? About ninety, they say, he gloomily muttered. And you have lived in this world hard upon one hundred years, Cook, and don't know yet how to cook a whale steak? Rapidly bolting another mouthful at the last word, so that the morsel seemed a continuation of the question. Where were you born, Cook? Hind a hatchway in ferry boat, going over to Roanoke. Born in a ferry boat? That's queer too. But I want to know what country you were born in, Cook. Didn't I say, de Roanoke country, he cried sharply. No, you didn't, Cook. But I'll tell you what I'm coming to, Cook. You must go home and be born over again. You don't know how to cook a whale steak yet. Bless my soul if I cook not a one, he growled angrily, turning round to depart. Come back, Cook. Here, hand me those tongs. Now, take that bit of steak there and tell me if you think that steak is cooked as it should be. Take it, I say, holding the tongs towards him. Take it and taste it. Faintly smacking his withered lips over it for a moment, the old negro muttered, Best cook take I ever taste. Juicy, very juicy. Cook, said Stubbs, squaring himself once more. Do you belong to the church? Pass one in Cape Town, said the old man sullenly. "'And you have once in your life passed a holy church in Cape Town "'where you doubtless overheard a holy parson addressing his hearers "'as his beloved fellow-creatures. "'Have you, Cook? "'And yet you come here and tell me such a dreadful lie "'as you did just now, eh?' said, Stubb. Where do you expect to go to, Cook?' "'Go to bed very soon,' he mumbled, half-turning as he spoke. "'Avast! Heave to!' I mean when you die, cook. It's an awful question. Now, what's your answer? When dis old black man dies, said the negro slowly, changing his whole air and demeanour, he himself won't go nowhere, but some blessed angel will come and fetch him. Fetch him? How? In a coach and four as they fetched Elijah? And fetch him where? Up there, said Fleece, holding his tongue straight over his head and keeping it there very solemnly. So, you expect to go up into our main-top, do you, Cook, when you're dead? But don't you know the higher you climb, the colder it gets? Main-top, eh? Didn't say that tall, said Fleece again in the sulks. You said up there, didn't you? And now look yourself and see where your tongs are pointing. But perhaps you expect to get into heaven by crawling through the lubber's hole, Cook. But no, no, Cook, you don't get there, except you go the regular way, round by the rigging. It's a ticklish business, but must be done, or else it's no go. But none of us are in heaven yet. Drop your tongs, cook, and hear my orders. Do you hear? Hold your hat in one hand and clap t'other atop of your heart when I'm giving my orders, cook. What? That your heart there? Oh, that's your gizzard. Aloft, aloft. That's it. Now you have it. Hold it there now and pay attention. All dension, said the old black, with both hands placed as desired, vainly wriggling his grizzled head, as if to get both ears in front at one and the same time. Well then, Cook, you see this whale steak of yours was so very bad that i put it out of sight as soon as possible. You see that, don't you? Well, for the future when you cook another whale steak for my private table here, the capstan, I'll tell you what to do so as not to spoil it by overdoing. Hold the steak in one hand and show a live coal to it with the other. That done, Dish it, do you hear? And now tomorrow, cook, when we are cutting in the fish, be sure you stand by to get the tips of his fins. Have them put in pickle. As for the ends of the flukes, have them souse cook There, now you may go. But Fleece had hardly got three paces off when he was recalled. Cook, give me cutlass for supper tomorrow night in the mid-watch. Do you hear? Away you sail then. Aloha, stop! Make a bow before you go vast heaving again whale balls for breakfast don't forget wish by guru whale eat him instead of him eat whale i'm breast if he ain't more of a shark than massa shark hisself, muttered the old man limping away with which sage ejaculation he went to his hammock